available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome everyone back to the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, still in this post-Larry Scott era. (laughs) And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. That's the USC site on the aforementioned 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 Football. We got a special show for you today. Maybe the last time we'll play this drop. The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? <laughs> He'll it roll will large. Not be, it will not be the last time we ever have to play that drop. That's true. Maybe we'll play it even more now. That uh, This is what I tweeted out, David. I don't know if you approved. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Uh, ha ha ha, get out of bed. Ding yeah. dong, the wicked witch is dead. Yeah, uh, it was a pretty popular tweet. But yes, Larry Scott, out. Uh, he still had well about a year and a half left on his contract. He'll leave uh, in June of 2021. Still getting paid a crap load of money to do a piss poor job as the commissioner of the Pac-12. But you needed this to happen. Uh, maybe it didn't happen exactly the way we both thought. I don't know. We thought it was going to happen. We just didn't know exactly how it was going to do. You know, I didn't think they were going to wait till the end. But I think that sooner you do it, the better. And this is a this is a benefit to everyone that loves Pac-12 football. You need a new leadership, and Larry Scott had to go, and now he's going. And now he's gone. We got to pour one out for Larry. I think among the leaders in the Pac-12, he was right there with Clay Helton, like at the top <laughs> tier. Um, so very sad to see him go, um, but not for like five months. I don't know, man. It's I, we don't need a five month transition period here. Like you didn't need to do it this way just fire him he's gone uh, today because you're gonna pay him out the remainder of the contract anyway like what's he doing like what's 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 even the goal of having him around for the next five months you're a simpsons fan right yeah did you ever see the one where homer's got a little too uh portly i guess you could say to work he was on disability working from home this was like the early computer days and all he had to do was kind of keep hitting the yes button and like venting the the, the radiation gas or something. And instead he had this little chicken that would like Bob on like, and it would like hit the yes button for him. And then he went and watched the movie or something and the chicken had fallen over. And then like the, the gas built up. I think instead of having Larry Scott fill out, you know, his tenure, you could have put a little chicken and hitting like the, you know, his email button, sending out random tweets or he doesn't really tweet, send out random uh, emails of different things that Larry Scott would say to his people. Uh, but man, if you read some of the columns, well, we we should jump. Let me let me tell everyone how to get. Here's talking. the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. First, if if you're the thing is if they need somebody who's who's going to I don't know like lower office morale and then give confusing interviews like where they just answer questions weirdly and and open more questions than answers, just hire me for the next five months. I'm fine. Like just <laughs> just makes me do it. You know how you know, bad you are. At I'll your do job. it at a discount. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone in there and like anyone that's talked about this has said, I'll do it. Like literally I couldn't do worse and I would take a lot less money. I mean, that's, 
that's how bad he was at his job. Like he was getting paid so much money and just wasn't good at all. Yeah. Well, anyway, so um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that, of course. But we got some other news and a bunch of questions you guys have written in. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us, pack12podcast.gmail.com. We did our couple of recruiting update episodes and analysis from Brandon Huffman. He was great the last couple of weeks. Obviously, this is big breaking news we got to talk about. Larry Scott, but we got a long off season. So if you have any ideas for the show, you can email us, pack12podcast at gmail.com, like I said, or you could call or text us, 424-532-0678. That is the number. Send us a text. Leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you, especially in the off season. You can tweet us at Pac-12podcast. We'll try to get David on the Twitters a little bit more so you don't just get my point of view. Also, the website, pac12podcast.com, where all the old episodes are, Reddit, podcast of champions go look for the little page there where you can chat with other pac-12 football fans and of course apple podcasts if you have that app on your phone or your ipad or your laptop whatever it is subscribe and rate us on there five stars is all we ask that's all we ask write whatever you want about us how terrible we are at our jobs but leave us a five star and we'll definitely read it at the top of the show we've got uh looks like three new ones you ready okay yeah all right we've got one from brandon huffman the Huff stuff. He promised. Yeah, he did, and he delivered uh, five stars. Dave, with the subject line, are the best. Don't at me. I can only assume he meant to write Dave and Ryan are the best. <laughs> Don't at me. But he just wrote Dave. He so really I, did that while we he was on our show. So maybe he, he like, did. Yeah. He was a little bit multitasking. Yeah. Um, we got one from Humph12345. It has its advantages. I used to have a problem, quote, finishing Way too early with my girlfriend. I tried thinking of baseball and all that other boring stuff to get my mind off track. Nothing worked. I mean, nothing. Then one day I started thinking about Ryan and Dave breaking down Stanford versus Oregon State, and I went on for like 25 minutes. Thanks, guys. Oh, and she says, quote, thanks, too. I love it. We are, a, I think we are a sexual aid in just that way. Apparently. Um, maybe that more ways than that. One. We used to do the Blue Chew ads. What happened to those? I know. We so Blue Chew and listen to the show. You will, yeah. you will last. No, you longer, can you can do it all. Uh, and then this is from Alex and Lily. Good podcast. Please do more shows on recruiting. This is one of the better episodes I have heard in a while. Well, thanks. Yeah, that, I mean, it's obviously great to have experts on. Um, and Brandon's certainly an expert. Now, what are you trying off. to say about us? We are not experts. That's what we I would on, say about on, us. On anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, thank you for the reviews. Those are awesome. Please uh, leave them, and, uh, you know, we'll try to get better guests on so you can leave some different kind of things. But we have to talk about Larry Scott being uh, let go. Um, I My thoughts originally, Dave, were that it was probably going to be like a year out that they would kind of agree to part ways. And for Larry to say it was, uh, you know, it was time. I'm excited for the next chapter of my life. Like, Everyone knows you're bad. No one's going to hire you to do anything awesome, but maybe he falls up. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's just so weird that it went on for this long. I mean, it was 2009 or whatever when this, when this started and they needed new leadership for sure. And he did a couple of good things early on. But then after that, it was just about, it just was like all the self-serving stuff, you know, like it just, he just took care of Larry so well and just did not take care of the conference at all. Yeah, I think um, uh, the the postmortems I've been reading, I think, are generally pretty fair. Um, 
and generally pretty hostile um, because I don't think he did a very good job. I think there is the caveat that the first few years were better than the last bunch. The promise was there, just none of the delivery. Um, you know, how much would things have changed if his aggressive moves for expansion had actually paid off? Who's to say? You know, uh, you take a big swing, you miss, and then um, the footprint isn't big enough to really justify what you've invested in the network. Because does the Pac-12 network work if there's a 16-team super conference, including the Texas schools? Maybe it does. I don't know. Um, but it didn't have enough of, I think, um, the country involved, and it didn't have enough of the big market teams. And then the last eight, nine years have just been more or less an unmitigated disaster. Um, I think my take on it is he wasn't able to do the big sweeping things that I think people had ideas that he would be able to do. And then the day-to-day commissioning, is that what they do? Is is that the verb I'm going to use here? The day-to-day overseeing, oversight, oversight, whatever. Uh, of the league, I thought was um, as bad or worse than Tom Hansen. Um, the officiating got worse during his tenure, I would say. Um, certainly no better. Um, and the just the way the Pac-12 network, I think, itself operated got worse, not better over time. Um, and that's nothing to say about the talent. I just think... Um, they didn't really improve the product um, that they were showing. The programming was pretty stale by the end. So uh, all in all, I think he did a shit job. It's a good thing that he's gone or soon to be gone. Um, and yeah, I think that's about that. Um, I think there have been a lot of names bandied about. Do we want to get into the names? Well, real quick, the uh, I want to like, what would you say if we had to put like a Mount Rushmore of Larry Scott gaffes? Um, I oh pro- god, the time the time he did a video thing where he was just announcing that he got a raise or an extension or whatever, and yeah. everyone thought he was announcing the Directv thing. I think um, that's up there. I you have to say the decision. I'm not gonna. I don't think the decision to wholly own the Pac-12 network is. I mean, I think it was bad, but I think the making it seven networks was the worst. I think that was. Um, you know, there's people that were critical of, well, Hey, you're not going to make people in Corvallis, like live and die Oregon state football. Like you can make people in, uh, Fayetteville, whatever, love the, the Razorbacks. Right. Um, but knowing that, why would you put an all Oregon PAC 12 network on there? Like that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So they sort of just. With parity in mind early, they were like, we have to put as many live sporting events as possible. Let's do seven networks. All that stuff would have been great on the web. You didn't need seven networks. That made it really hard for you to get on places like DirecTV and stuff like that. Like your his initial uh, priorities were way off. And you, you, you know, you, you just underestimate, I mean, you overestimated what this content, how this content would be consumed. So I would put picking, putting seven networks instead of one as one of those top four gaffes. Yeah, agreed. Um, another one I would say is having non-officials in an oversight over officiating capacity. Um, having guys who are basically marketing and salespeople, um, having decision-making power in the review booths um, of or the review command center of the Pac-12, uh, disaster, absolute disaster. Yeah, I mean the yeah the what was it Willie? What was his name? Um, Will, I don't Willie know. Dixon? Is that right? Who, who, 
remembers the names. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, was it Willie Dixon? I believe that was like, you have someone that was like a lawyer, like figuring shit, you know, this stuff out as for, uh, overturning reviews. And I mean, that was just the worst, uh, that that's, yeah, that's terrible. And then probably, I mean, the, the lavish spending has to be up there with the $7 million a year rent. For, but you, you know. don't understand, Ryan. Um, they're, they're proximate to Comcast. If they weren't proximate to Comcast, uh, the, the whole league would fall apart. Yeah. You know, and, having that, that office space was essential to the whole, to the whole puzzle. Yeah. This the whole good thing failing is, puzzle. John Canzano did an interview with the, the CEO group, the, the leadership group right now. Uh, you know, I think it's Washington, Washington state and Oregon's presidents. And, uh, you know, they seem to say, they said everything was on the table. Um, you know, it's definitely, they could move. I'm sure they're going to move. So you're going to see like some cost cutting, some belt tightening that Larry was not going to do. I mean, the, the lavish suites, the first class private jets, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's gotta be up the, there. The, the what? Multi-million spent. dollar home loan. Yeah. $1.9 million loan that he didn't have to pay back. And I, I guess he's paying now i don't know i thought i read that somewhere but um he uh it was basically like i think it was Kanzada or somebody wrote it was like he used it as like his personal atm and it larry scott's tenure made larry scott uh money it didn't make the pac-12 money well more power to him um yeah. so uh the question is what's next um i don't i so first i i have no idea um, in terms of who, what makes a good commissioner, I have some ideas about it. And virtually every name that's been thrown out there right now, I think, would be a terrible idea. Um, athletic directors, I, I think that's kind of stupid. Um, are they? Are, do any of these athletic directors have experience negotiating like multi-million-dollar TV deals? No. Yeah. No, they don't. Um, I, I saw. Somebody was it Kanzana who threw out Rick Neuheisel, or somebody had thrown out Rick Neuheisel to him? Oh my God! With him in gloves? Oh my God! Oh oh my God! And like the thing is, like whatever you want to say about Rick Neuheisel, uh, at his best, his best asset as a leader is pure PR. That's not the Pac-12's problem. It's not. It needs somebody who's extremely organized who can get this thing kind of ship shape from like the guts of the product standpoint, and then also negotiate deals in like a serious way. Uh, Rick Neuheisel is, and I'm not even trying to knock him here, but one of the least organized people who's ever been a football coach. Um, (laughs) He would like going into football practice, he wouldn't have a practice plan until like, I don't know, a couple minutes before practice. Just no, no way. Um, no, I, I think what you're looking for, and we were just talking about this a little bit off air, but like, I don't know, some weird vice president at ESPN nobody's ever heard of who's like done some stuff. I don't know, but not, I, I, I think an athletic director, um, maybe they have the chops and maybe they don't, but I think, you know, going out and getting Greg Byrne to run the conference, I don't know if that's necessarily what you want to be doing. I think, um, it, it, Somebody who's got some experience as like a sports, you know, executive TV type would make more sense to me. But again, I don't really know. Um, But I I think many people will be better than Larry Scott. Yeah. And I I think if you read some of that, there were some great columns and, uh, you know, features out there talking about this. And like you said, I think they were fair. Um, But the someone with Pac-12 ties, uh, I think just understanding the landscape. 
I know somebody you know, who knows what football is, I think would be essential. That would be good. It, you know, the, it wasn't just the football part. I, I, my apologies. I forget. This was either, it was either on the podcast or one of the columns. I read a bunch of stuff or listened to a bunch of stuff, but Larry Scott was an individual sport guy. He was a tennis guy, you know, and, um, there's something different with team sports and you obviously have to understand football. Like the, the, the people that he hired to like oversee football, didn't know football. Like it's just, it, it, it didn't work. And his, he looked at the PAC 12 and said, well, this is a conference that's better at Olympic sports than everybody else. Let's focus on that. And that, I mean, it's just a huge mistake. Like, it, it's great that you're focusing. I mean, it's great that you're good at those things, but it doesn't matter. Like you have to be good at the the things that matter. Um, I mean, they haven't won a women's men's or, you know, basketball title or football title in decades. It's been a, a long time. Um, you know, it, that's, that's a major issue. And I think he, it's like one of those things, if you want to like argue like California politicians, um, when they're doing a poor job, like, yeah, but we still have people here. It's like, well, they're not here because of you. They're here because it's awesome in California. Like, and it's great to have all these Olympic sports, but you need to have the, the infrastructure is like football and basketball. You know, you need to have that. And I feel like the Pac-12 could start slipping in those Olympic sports if you start, you know, you keep losing on the, the major sports side too. So I think you were taking that for granted focusing on that when that shouldn't really be the focus that's a side dish and you needed to focus on the main course and he didn't for a long time he didn't talk to the athletic directors he did yeah. like he was like i'll talk to the presidents and that's it and it was just it was so ivory towery it just it was amazing it just he just he didn't even talk to his staff like it was so weird to have the hire that he was and um who knows what would have happened if you had texas uh and oklahoma you know in there Things might have just worked out because it was a better product around him, but he was sort of milking it like, oh yeah, everyone's going to love our product. I'm just going to milk it. But he really needed to to help it. And it was a, unfortunately, we saw college athletics and college football specifically transition and it just became a whole different world. And the Pac-12 wasn't even like up to snuff in the old world and the new world, you had to be even better. And obviously the Pac-12 far, fell far so behind I, under his I'm tenure. Gonna- I'm going to make a bold statement here. Um, probably all commissioners are bad at their jobs, right? It seems a little bit like baseball manager in terms of, like, what do they even do during the day when they're not negotiating a TV contract? Like, what do they do? Because it's it, it seems like a nothing job. I think Larry Scott, very bad. Uh, but, like, is, I don't know, Bob Bowlesby good? No. I mean, what the hell? No. Not, that's probably the, the case. But I think what Larry Scott ran into is that he was bad, like all of them are bad. He took a few big swings that were ultimately huge whiffs. Um, I think trying to pivot a lot of the Pac-12 to Asia, um, you know, really banking on building a market there. Uh, I, I don't know if that paid off in any way um, whatsoever. Um the, the big swing for a super conference didn't work out. Uh, the big swing for a Pac-12 network. And maybe he was banking on, you know, if you remember 2009, 2010, there was a lot of this is the end of football talk because of the way concussions were becoming a big thing. And then we all decided to ignore that. Um, like we just decided to ignore all of these things. Um, and maybe he was banking on, well, football might not be here in 15 years. We've got to have a good base of something else. All of these things you could squint and see a justification for it it's just a lot of big swings and misses 
But ultimately, uh, and I, I, I just want to make this point because I think it, it, it kind of gets lost in the commissioner talk, but ultimately Larry Scott was failed by the, the simple fact that the teams have been dog shit um, for most of his tenure. And essentially the, the, the big marquee team, USC has had, well, I don't know what, it, one, some, one of its worst sequences of 11 years in history uh, since Scott has been in office, yeah, more or less. Um, the Pac-12 the last five years has been dreadful. And I don't, the cause and effect there, I don't think is Larry Scott is causing the Pac-12 to be bad. Because the, the, the dollars and cents weren't outsized different at the beginning of this tenure. But USC was trending bad and um, the Pac-12 as a strong league started to trend bad five years ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it was a perfect storm in some senses. I don't think he's any good at his job and I don't think he was any good at his job, but I think it was all magnified by the fact that the league itself, the quality of the teams, which I really don't think the commissioner has much effect on just hasn't been that good. Yeah. And I, I think it's the case where you have to make it better and you have to understand what, you know, he didn't understand what the programs he had under him were. It was sort of like everyone was the same. You got these 12 programs. I will rule over them and didn't know much about any of them. And I think the gooder, you know, the gooder, the better commissioners out there, they're at least getting feedback from those athletic directors um, and finding out what's, what's working and what's working uh, in Eugene might not be working in Tempe, you know, and it's, it's going to be different. And I, I feel like Larry Scott was sort of like, this is how we're going to do things. And you guys have to make it work in your different markets. And it's just, it's a really unique job. And he just was so self-serving. It just didn't help uh, at all. And, you know, you hope that you get someone good there. I, I feel like even though the CEO group, it's obviously a Pacific Northwest um, centric thing. That's where it lands right now. Those are the guys that are, that are run, you know, the, the leadership committee right now. But they all seem to understand football. Um, I think they they understand how this is going to get better. Um, no one wants to put women's volleyball or rowing or something on the back burner. But you know, it's the only way to help women's volleyball and rowing and all the other sports is to make football better and you know basketball better. So I, I feel like they kind of understand that. And if you do want to help the Olympic sports. If you help football a lot, you're definitely going to help the Olympic sports, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously the big priority for the next day, uh, next uh, commissioner is going to be um, figuring out a way to uh, make a meaningful percentage uh, on the dollar compared to what the SEC and, and Big Ten are getting. It doesn't... They, the Pac-12 is never going to make even money with those conferences, uh, but it needs to be a meaningful um, amount uh, relative. Uh, so whatever it is, 50%, 60% of what they get with their TV deals, that's what the Pac-12 needs to get. Uh, whether it's through a combination of streaming rights and TV or whatever it is, but that's got to be the big priority. Whatever they have to do in terms of hiring to nab that is the big key. Um, and everything else is, uh, I don't know, extraneous. But um, priorities that and then second way down the list is uh, cleaning up officiating. It's been a disaster for a very long time, way back through Tom Hansen. I don't know what the cancer is there, but it needs to be excised and they need to figure it out. Pac-12 basketball officiating is among the worst in the country. Pac-12 football officiating is among the worst in the country, and that just cannot continue. 
it's the worst thing you can do from a PR standpoint, from a perception of the brand standpoint, because Joe Fan, that is their impression of the Pac-12. When they watch the games, they're like, what the hell is this? Why are they calling PI on every single contact downfield? Why are they doing this? Why do yeah. they focus on illegal hands to the face for an entire half where they call it like seven times and they don't call it ever again? What's, what is this? Uh, right. Figure that out. And the for the the Pac-12 network, I think the big failure was when if you I think Wilner reported on what Larry Scott sold the the high and the low of distribution to the schools, and I think he was saying they were gonna the schools are gonna make like seven million a year from the Pac-12 network, and uh, Andy Staples had a podcast where he had Wilner on. I listened to it. And you're actually making the schools were making 1.5 million from the Pac-12 network, and Andy, St- Andy Staples attributed that to so each school was making from their conference network uh, the equivalent of an SEC offensive line coach salary, and that was like I'm like you put it that way, that's what your your network was making, and the officiating side even that like even after the Willie Dixon stuff. The guy he hires to head officiating has officiated two games in the MAC in like the '90s. Like that's his extensive extensive experience. Like he still it, wasn't fight. It's it so bizarre. And it's I don't want to say it's like corruption or anything. I think it's just simple incompetence. They yeah. hired somebody who didn't know, and then he kept hiring people who didn't know. Hire somebody who like knows uh, at, at the very least, no, like knows some names in this industry. Like knows some people to talk to who can then recommend some people to hire, not some, I mean, a tennis guy. Um, and that's what they had. So I, it's uh, because I think that's what it was. I mean, I think it boiled down to him being a huge, I mean, he's got a huge ego. I mean, that was obvious from any time you ever saw him talk, probably wasn't leaning on anyone's advice or support. And then um, is hiring from his Rolodex, which includes basically friggin' no one who actually has some familiarity with, I don't know, college football generally, and the Pac-12 in particular. It's it's you get in this like incompetence like feedback loop, right? And I, I've seen this at USC for the last, I don't know, 25 years where things sort of work because it's got tradition and all this stuff, but you had just incompetent people running things, but you were running like, you know, if you're driving a Ferrari, you just weren't driving it that well, you're still in a Ferrari, you know. But after a while, like the maintenance is gonna suffer. And it was sort of like the people that were there knew they were incompetent, right? Or they knew they weren't good. And they knew if they hired someone that was good from the outside, that person would point out their incompetence. So they like avoided hiring good people so they wouldn't, you know, shed light on their own incompetence. And I Oh, so you're making an A's hire A's and B's hire C's argument here. Uh, yes. Uh, well, I, I've had that brought up to me before talking about USC, but I think in the athletic department specifically, People just had, it was like a, their own fiefdom, whatever. They they did what they were going to do. And they didn't want someone from the outside telling them what they were already doing was way wrong. The rest of the world doesn't do it that way. So they were it's sort of like a bubble that they were trying to keep people out. And I feel like maybe Larry Scott did that. We're like, yeah, if, if we bring in a really good officiating guy, he's going to say, oh, my God, I can't believe how you've been doing things for all these years. I'm going to change this and this and this. And that's going to look bad. Let's just bring someone in that's like, Got some name, but not or not necessarily like as much experience. I don't know. Maybe that's just my theory. Yeah, it certainly could be true. I mean, I don't. 
whatever, like, it doesn't really matter to me whether, uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if it's incompetence or corruption or what have you or wherever it is on the spectrum there. They did a bad job. They did a piss poor job. They need to hire somebody who's actually going to do, like, the due diligence of running the league. Um, and I, I don't think Larry Scott did it. I'm, pointedly, he didn't. Um, and uh, that day-to-day crap, like just cleaning up the officiating, make sure, making sure that's not a joke, um, you know, making sure you have some like decent like broadcast teams. I don't know, just like various things that are just basics. Um, that's just the stuff that needs to get cleaned up. Uh, yeah. But the TV deal is the big priority. You can have all that stuff be dog crap, and as long as you nail the TV deal. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that goes. You have to fix it, right? You just you, that's things you have to, to 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 correct. There's so many problems, and but that's the big one. If you can get a better TV deal, um, there's there is an arms race going on. I mean, if you looked at the the tweet about the staffs, I forget which staffs it was. It was like, um, did you see that one? It was about, uh, I think it was minor recruiting staffs, like. You know, the Pac-12 is far behind everybody else. Does that matter as much? I mean, you, you, you can do things a little bit differently in the Pac-12, but you can't fall this far behind in revenue and expect to stay really a Power 5 conference. And, I, I mean, that's what's on the line for this, Dave. Like, do you want to still be a Power 5 conference? Um, you got to move forward and you got to, you know, be competitive uh, with, the, with your peers. And right now the Pac-12 isn't. They need uh, new leadership. I, 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 I don't know about that. I mean, I think there's always going to be, um, there's always, there always has been and always will be more or less an imbalance in terms of the, um, uh, for lack of a better term, geographical power of the Pac-12, just by proxi- by location, proximity to talent. There's basically California and then not a whole lot else. Um, so there's always going to be that. And that's not to say California isn't great, but it is. You know, just kind of the one area, whereas the South has variety of hotbeds of talent, all that kind of stuff. But I think I would, again, bring up the ACC is worse. Um, the ACC has Clemson and then a whole load of shit. Uh, the Pac-12 is a better conference and has been for the last five years, more or less, even with Clemson having an elite team. What the Pac-12 is missing is either Oregon really getting its shit together under Cristobal and actually producing a truly elite team and not just something that's like a vague Rose Bowl contender or USC, you know, actually, I I know I hate to say it, firing Clay Helton and hiring a non-joke head coach. Um, That's, (laughs) but that's all it is. That's all it takes is because what you're talking about is perception um, because the PAC 12 hasn't had a team in the playoffs since 2016. Um, and, but the thing is the strength of the league, if you look at any kind of analytic system, if you look at just kind of general records, all this kind of stuff, it's better than the ACC. It's just the ACC has Clemson. Where is the PAC-12's Clemson? It's yeah. either USC or Oregon or Washington, if they can get it together under Jimmy Lake. Um, they had it semi-rolling under Chris Peterson, and then that kind of fizzled a little bit. I won't even throw out UCLA because I think that one is so far gone at this point. But there are some teams that could get it together. They're just not. Um, But Oregon is recruiting at a top 10 level. USC always has to potentially recruit at a top five level. These things would get corrected very quickly with the right amount of leadership at those schools. Um, Maybe Cristobal is the guy at Oregon. I don't want to throw that completely away. I I have my doubts. Maybe he is. Um, Clay Helton is pointedly not the guy at USC. Uh, But if either one of those schools really nailed a hire, 
then we we wouldn't be having this conversation because the Pac-12 would have its Clemson. It would have its program that can actually dominate at that level. Um, That's all this is. Um, And those programs are not TV revenue dependent. They're just not. Um, TV revenue is a nice talking point because it gives us some structure to discuss this uh, dichotomy between the leagues. And it is important to note that the Pac-12 schools are almost never going to be able to pay coaches the same levels as the SEC and ACC and so on and so forth. And that split is getting more and more significant. Um, but then it gets into diminishing returns. How much different is it uh, between like overpaying for Jeff Brom at Purdue or hiring the next best guy at Washington, right? Yeah. Is Jeff Brom that good? Should he really be getting six or $7 million a year? No, probably not. Um, so it's, there's a market for, West Coast head coaches. There's a market for West Coast coaches. Um, you know, Oregon f- maybe fended off Auburn. I don't know what the details on that were, but they were able to retain Cristobal this year with a below market salary, right? Um, they didn't offer him probably the big number that um, uh, he, he may get on the open market someday, but he still stayed. Um, and I think there's, there's some reality that some guys are just, you know... Uh, they get comfortable in a place, yada, yada, yada. Um, and the, the Pac-12 probably is not going to be in that like huge arms race where they're going to pay $10 million for a head coach. Um, I just don't know if that's going to preclude them from being power five. I think that's a stretch. I think there's some, there's some advantages to being in the Pac-12, um, California being one of them, uh, not having competition for your best recruits in the footprint, um, largely. I mean, you know, some some schools recruit nationally, but uh, for the most part, the Pac-12 can lock down California. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, I don't think they're close to being out of the Power Five. I don't think even with a bad TV deal, they'll be close to being out of the Power Five. Um, it's just a question of whether the elite teams in the league, the programs that have the potential, will end up ever realizing it again. Which if uh, if, as I suspect, USC retains Clay Helton until he retires, um, that's not going to be possible the one thing i would ask or because i feel like it's different even when you know usc was dominated college football is different um you know when oregon was making their runs it's still different if you have a team if it's washington or even ucla whatever you have a a potential clemson in the pac-12 even if they're like they've got the right coaches they're recruiting really well they're winning some of these out-of-conference games that are big that the Pac-12 hasn't been winning, you know, lately. Would the revenue shortfall impact that? Would they be like? There's news of you know Washington losing, um, you know, the defensive coordinator Pete uh, Kwiatkowski to uh, Texas. Is that going? Would that be harder for a USC in Oregon or what? Like at the top, to keep some guys to to get a, a run going of more than a year or two, even if they could do that. Like I feel like the revenue shortfall. If you know you keep falling further behind, it might make it hard to even create your Clemson because of the the lack of revenue around it. I don't know. Maybe that's not true, but I, I feel like you're definitely gonna. It's gonna be harder for a, a quote unquote Clemson to emerge when you have that disparity in what these other programs can do, and they have a a recruiting staff of thirty or forty, and you have six. You know, like yeah, you you could still recruit California easier, but. We've seen these power programs come into California and take some of the best players lately. You got to combat that. And, you know, having a, a guy or two that are really good helps. But 
I don't know if it beats a, a, a huge team like working together that they're paying a whole lot of money for. Like yeah, we're seeing I, these other programs. Right, right. But I, I do want to like let's TV money is a big part of this, but it's not the end all and be all. There's a lot of revenue that comes into an athletic department. A ton of it is donations. And donations, as we know, um, and as anybody who has the good sense to pay attention to any of this stuff or bad sense, whatever it is, uh, they follow whether you win or lose. Um, you know, if, if you're winning, I mean, if when when Jim Mora was winning at a decent level, like not even like an elite level at UCLA, uh, fundraising went through the roof. Um, famously, when Johnny Manziel went uh, ham at Texas A&M for a couple years, not just the athletic department, but the university saw like I think it was like an almost billion dollar increase in fundraising, something wow. crazy. Um, it, it a lot of this stuff is TV, and I don't want to like discount that, but a lot of it is how much merchandise you sell, how many tickets you sell, what kind of contributions you get in through fundraising. Um, that when you add it all together, the the difference between the amount you get from TV from your broadcast rights it's still significant but it's not it's not everything um and I, I think for people who aren't like completely like tuned into this that kind of gets lost in the discussion um because there's ways to make money as a I mean this is a money making endeavor uh for everybody and if USC suddenly went elite again like if they suddenly had a Carol type run again or something even I don't know 80 percent that level uh, the money wouldn't be a problem for USC. It wouldn't be. It, it kind of isn't anyway. I mean, it's it's a made-up issue because they've got, you know, many. How many billionaire uh, uh, donors are there to the USC football program? I don't know, but there's some. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, some. there's some. U- UCLA's got a, got at least one. Um, but, like, there's there's people with money who will throw it at the football program or at the athletic department generally if it's doing well. Um, and they'll throw it at it even when it's doing poorly, if they get the right amount of access, but they'll throw real money at it when it's doing well. Um, it's just a matter of getting, getting it going on the, on the field. And they haven't been able to do that. Now, is that the ideal way to set it up? No. Would you like to be making it independently through your TV deal? Probably. But uh, still, I think the argument at the end of the day, it's been my argument for a while about a variety of different things. This is solved by just playing better, by by having better coaching and putting a better product out on the field, which I don't think is as of yet affected by the fact that the revenue difference is significant. I don't think I think you can find good enough coaching at whatever level you need to um, to win some games. And for USC, it doesn't even have to be that good. Uh, You just need somebody better than, um, you know, Clay Helton. Honestly, if USC just went and hired like Lane Kiffin back, that would be better than Clay Helton. Um, And I'm not suggesting they should hire Lane Kiffin back, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's it's they have they have done the disservice to the entire league by having a joke of a head coach for five, six years now. What is it? Six years? Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, it's bad. So on the recruiting side, I don't know. There's some. Uh, like there's some guys that just slip away, you know, they're California guys. They go to other conferences. I don't, there's a dude you might've heard of, uh, from Northern California ended up at Michigan. Um, while we were recording this, he's now on his way to his 10th Super Bowl. <laughs> Tom Brady. <laughs> you got to keep those guys home, David. You can't let the Tom Brady's can't let Tom California. Brady. Yeah. Yeah. 
Come on, come on, Cal. Twenty five years ago, what the hell? No kidding. He he's been in the league twenty years. He's going to ten Super Bowls. Like, what? What? Like, that's insane. Like, he's ten Super Bowl starts is twice as many as any other quarterback. Um, now he's doing it with another team. I don't think it has any quarterback. I don't know if any quarterbacks done that Super Bowl with two different teams. Has that happened? Maybe. I'm sure it has. Oh, that's a weird one. But yeah, so don't let the Tom Brady's get away. Pac-12. You got it. Well, it, it happen. Was, it was Pac-10 back then, but um, that's a long time. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So probably just jump into questions now. Let me take. We'll take a quick break and do the questions. Any other newsy stuff you want to talk about, David? Uh, I mean, it sucks. Uh, I mean, no, we can talk about the Washington, Washington D.C. Uh, Pete Kwiatkowski uh, moved yeah. on to Texas to join Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, yeah, it seems like some Washington fans are like ready to jump off a mountain, uh, because of this, which I don't know, seems a little much to me. Um, but who knows? Uh, I would say like a lot of seemingly guys leaving Washington and not just coaches, just, I don't know, a note doesn't seem like a lot of guys are transferring out of there too. Yeah, there's been some. I don't know. Just um, just a note, just a thought, just a just just a what have you. I mean, Jimmy Lake is a defensive guy, so I, I don't. It's it's sort of like, um, you know, if you're an offensive-minded head coach and you lose your offensive coordinator, it's not as big of a deal. He's not like you know running the show exclusively. I mean, Jimmy Lake was running that, right? Um, he well, could do he, it again. I don't know. I, a lot of the Washington fans seem to think that this whole thing was structured based off Kwiatkowski, so I don't know. Ah, uh, okay. Um, well, sure, Hithliday will tell me I'm an idiot or something for that. But just, uh, yeah, we'll see where you know what direction they end up uh, going there. But I think it's one of those things where that's you know that's going to happen uh, in the Pac-12 if you have a guy that has a good reputation is doing well, people are going to make runs. And uh, right now, it's sort of like there's not a lot of defenses for Pac-12 programs, and part of that's on Larry Scott. So I think uh, if you got a guy you really like, you don't have to pay him more than what Texas would pay or Alabama would pay or Ohio State would pay. But if you can't make it competitive, then it's really hard. If t- you know, West Coast guys might want to stay on the West Coast in general. I'm not talking about uh, this case, but just in general. But if you're going to be thrown a boatload of money and someone's going to overpay for you, it's hard to say no, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and answer questions. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. We're back here on the podcast of champions. Uh, we got a, I think we got a bunch of questions. Huh? I think it looks like emails. Uh, we, I can start with Peter in Vancouver if you'd like. Um, Let's do it. Pac-12 football. Gentlemen. John Wilner wrote an article comparing Alabama's roster with the Pac-12 all-conference team. I saw he tweeted this, but I didn't dig into it. My apologies. He said, I think that it's fair to say that the Pac-12 did not come out looking great in comparison. It's not that surprising given the number of recruits which leave the Pac-12 footprint to play football. Are there specific actions that you think the Pac-12 organization can do to get more of the top recruits to play in the Pac-12, either keeping local talent here or getting top talent from the East to play in the Pac-12, Peter and Washington. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I think this is uh, kind of what we were talking about a little bit more, uh, which is I think this is a failure of um, the teams in the league more than it is necessarily a failure of, like, I don't know, uh, the realities of, you know, the disparity in money or power. I think, you know, Najee Harris was a guy who... Um, you know, uh, there were some Pac-12 schools involved. I know UCLA tried pretty hard there, um, but he kind of – he was – do you remember him as a recruit? I do because there was two – so Najee Harris, Northern California kid, five-star running back. We saw him on the seven-on-seven seven circuit, but not as much. But there he, was Steve, he, Steven, he marched, marched to the beat of his own drum, very for much so. sure. Not a guy who would who was really into the recruiting process. Didn't want to talk to anybody. Was pretty shy. Um, he talked to Huffman thing. a bunch. I think he would talk to Huffman. That's about it. Um, but he didn't really love the whole game, the whole recruiting game. Um, uh, Cal had a chance. UCLA had a chance. Uh, just didn't kind of um, uh, materialize. Uh, but that's the kind of guy you do have to bring home, and maybe a super elite West Coast program would have been able to do it. Um, yeah. It just he kind of hit at a at a at a dull point. Um, you know, was, Oregon was kind was of also, on the way down. Uh, USC was not doing well. UCLA but you had was Stephen on the way Carr. Down. There was all there was another five star running back in Southern California. USC ended up getting him, so they weren't yeah. going to get both. Hey, maybe uh, USC makes that a run. Out well, right? Right, and it, he was nowhere near as good, or didn't at least in college he wasn't as good as as Najee Harris. But yeah, there was a it was a weird confluence of factors, I think, in that one. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I I think it's just a matter of again, you got to have some elite Pac-12 programs. I think uh, the the recruiting for the league is hurt when um, USC is doing what it's doing right now, and when UCLA is doing what it's doing right now. Um, you know, UCLA historically recruits at a top 20 level. They're not doing that under Chip Kelly. USC historically recruits at a top 10 to top 5 level. They're not consistently doing that under Clay Helton. Uh, last year was one of the worst recruiting years, not this past, this cycle, but the previous one, was one of the worst recruiting years ever for USC. Um, and you just can't have that in this league. You've got to lock down California, and part of that is those two schools recruiting the way they're supposed to. Um, even with Oregon stepping up, Oregon recruits nationally a little bit more um, just by necessity. Um, they're not really locking down California so much. They're they're kind of um, picking guys from around the country. Uh, Washington does a little bit more of its kind of heavy base recruiting in California, but um, 
to to really make sure that you're not losing a ton of guys from California and Arizona, uh, the two LA schools have to get their shit together, um, and they haven't. Uh, and that's for me, that's really the long and the short of it. If those two schools had had everything together, maybe a few of these guys leave. Maybe if Bijan Robinson goes away or whatever, but some of these guys would have been retained. Just that's the reality of it. Um, and and we, we wouldn't be sitting here watching, you know, four Pac-12 quarterbacks or four Pac-12 footprint quarterbacks going at it, um, you know, in a championship weekend or whatever. I agree with you 100 percent. If you remember part of this, you know, what it goes back to, you need a power when if it was like the, the late 90s, most of the best players in California were leaving the footprint and they were going outside. Like, they were, you know, Miami was really good. That's one of the things that Pete Carroll did by keeping a lot of the best players in California home. I think it helped the rest of the Pac-12, too. It was kind of a cool thing to stay on the West Coast. It was okay to stay on the West Coast. When you don't have a power, like if Oregon isn't, you know, cleaning up like they could be, they're, they're recruiting better now. Um, I, but I think it's hard for an Oregon to do it. You almost need like a USC or UCLA. But you you need these good local options for the Pac-12. And then it's cool for the rest of the, the, the players to stay around, too. Um, I, I just feel like you need that. And that's one thing that Pete Carroll did. He made it kind of cool to stay on the West Coast. And now it's not. The perception of the Pac-12 isn't great. There's a lot of players that are you know can potentially leave. The not playing high school football, a lot of players left just doing that. Um, so there's, you need to give these guys a good reason to stay home and, you know, having a power program, I think is one of those good reasons. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Uh, let's get to the next one. Oh, we've got, uh, Ben. No, no, we don't. This is some kind of spam. Uh, we've got Alex and SB, uh, punting is losing. Hello, Dave and Ryan. The Solid Verbal Podcast ran an off-season think tank on ideas to fix slash improve college football. One of their favorite suggestions was if a team punts, it's minus one point. My question is, why is Dave writing into the Solid Verbal under a pseudonym, and why won't he just come out here and suggest it on a podcast available in more homes in the Pac-12 Network? I'm disappointed in you, Dave. Um, okay, I love it. I think it's almost too punitive. Um, you know, minus a point you would probably get a whole lot of no punts ever um, because I, I, I've noticed uh, the winds shifting a little bit. I don't know if you have, but it seems like even guys like Rod Gilmore are talking up the advantages of, of not punting on fourth and short from midfield. Right. Like, and he's one of the most conservative men uh, I think in the entire college football uh, cinematic universe. Um so I, I think the tides are shifting a little bit, and it, this would be too much of a push. I think this push would make it so that, hey, punting actually might be an advantage at certain points um, because nobody would be punting. So I, I don't love this um, so much. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? This feels to me like you're kind of, you know, charging more for lottery tickets. <laughs> you know, like you're yeah. saying, you're like, hey, by the way, buy lottery tickets. It, that's bad. That's you're bad at math. If you do that, um, we're going to charge you more. I don't know if it would help, but yeah, maybe they would. I mean, but if it's like the opening drive and you go three and out and it's third and eight on your own 27, are they gonna, they're just going to lose a point and punt, I think. So I don't know, like maybe it like makes some of the closer decisions. They'll do it. But like I was watching the uh, NFC championship game and it was the end of the first half. 
And uh, Tampa Bay, I think there was like only 13 seconds left. Both teams had two timeouts. And they were on their own. They were on the, the Green Bay. Tampa was on the Green Bay 45, and it was fourth and three. Uh, and they were going to punt. And then they called timeout. And they changed their mind. And I thought, I was like, well, you should go. I'm like, I'm thinking like, Dave, you should go for it in this situation. Like, if you go for it and you don't get it, like, if you, you pick up eight yards in a first down, you can kick a field goal, right? Um, and you have another timeout, you're fine. If you don't get it, you've used five or six seconds and Green Bay gets the ball of their own 45. Like, it's it's even too far for a Hail Mary. Like, they're, they're probably not doing anything with it. There's really, there didn't seem like any downside to it. They throw, like, a short pass that put them in, like, sort of field goal range. It was like a 57-yarder. And then Tom Brady threw a touchdown pass, you know? Like, the upside to going for it there was huge. It just seemed like the downside was small. You know, and they ended up winning that game probably because of that play. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like you just have to – People just, you need the old guard to kind of go away that punting is went like, who said punting was winning? I forget. Was that Neuheisel? That, that is a Rick Neuheisel. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not. Um, those situations, I agree with you. Like, look at the math. It just makes more sense to go for it. And I, you know, you give the, the coaching staff their credit that they, they were going to punt. They call timeout. And you see Tom Brady come back in the game. And then they make, they, you know, they win the lottery on that one by, you know, I don't know how you let a, a defender, you know, a, a receiver get by you, but. Tom Brady drops back, and I thought he was just going to dump it off real quick because you needed to throw like a sideline pass to pick up a few yards, and he lost one downfield. It was a touchdown. It was kind of the craziest thing. Um, I've got a rules change that I would like. That's um, not necessarily a rules change, more of a scorekeeping change, but I would like to introduce errors into college football because Ooh. I think it's unfair when a tipped ball um, that a receiver was supposed to catch ends up intercepted. Uh, this is one of my mom's actual uh, old uh, points about this. Uh, that shouldn't be on the quarterback if it gets intercepted at that point. That should be an error on the receiver, um, but it shouldn't be an interception on the quarterback's record. I, I like it. That's an essential point, um, and that should go on the receiver. They they had a critical error, so it's like it's like baseball. You still get credit for the interception. It's not as if it gets waved off like the defensive back. You you have an interception, but the quarterback doesn't get blamed for that. What about um, drops? As far as like, could it be something like a your ERA, like your 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 percentage doesn't go down, like their earned runs versus unearned runs kind of thing? I, I wouldn't hate it. Like if you wanted to work in um, some sort of drops statistic um, that actually meaningfully impacted a quarterback's ratings, uh, I think that would be fine. Yeah. Um, it the thing is, it introduces judgment calls into this whole thing, uh, but that's been a part of baseball scorekeeping forever. So just do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. I think that was Alex. Um, this is from Dave, not my co-host Dave, a different Dave. Uh, it's a common name for you guys out there. Uh, uh -huh. New, it is fairly common. I don't know if you know that. Dave, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, new Pac-12 CEO. Some will say I'm crazy. All right, Dave. Uh, it might be coincidence that Larry Scott announces his departure the same day that another top CEO leaves his previous job. But Larry seems like the kind of guy to have his successor lined up before he steps down. It will be controversial, but I just can't see Pac-12 passing up an opportunity that guarantees such a big viewership jump. When will they announce Donald Trump taking over as Pac-12 CEO? <laughs> Email of the year, maybe? I don't know. Uh, yeah. That's funny. Was it? I, I forget who I read. I, I'm sorry I'm not attributing this to the right person, but... It did seem like it was sort of a, a news dump, right? 
And I think Kanzano reported that it was someone from his Larry Scott's inner circle leaked it before Larry Scott had one of his favorite financial institutions or whatever break the news, right? Like it was who broke it? It was some like sports business day. I forget yeah, what it was. Sports something like journal that. or something like that. But, yeah. Yeah, but someone from his inner circle leaked it, so it got out there earlier. But it was like literally on inauguration night. Um, that was so funny. So like, funny. Yeah. It's like, oh by the way, I'm I'm leaving and getting still get paid <laughs> another like ten million dollars. But yeah. the Republic may be falling, who knows? But uh I'm leaving. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump as the Pac-12 commissioner. Um, yeah. I think that would, would have the same problems as Rick Neuheisel um, from like uh, uh, an organizational standpoint. Like you would have the same, just absolutely no idea what you're doing with any kind of like organizing anything. And then like, obviously you'd have the whole political angle that would not be fun for uh, what is, you know, the Pac-12 footprint. So yeah, I'll go ahead and say non-starter. Yeah. Um, I just saw, there's an email I just saw, David. And this I didn't see this before, but Canzano on January 21st tweeted, ex-Oregon defensive coordinator Nick Aliotti just floated a wildcard name for Pac-12 commissioner, Rick Neuheisel. He, he said, quote, I don't even know if he'd want to do it, but he'd be great. Big smile on his face on the picture. Um, I hate wildcard names. <laughs> Like, just get somebody that's good. Like, what? Why? I, yeah, I'll, I'll, he would be bad. No, that's the big thing is that he would be actually bad. So don't do it. I, I can't, you know, agree with you on most of the Rick Neuheisel takes, but this one would be like no. And uh, yeah. I've seen this around USC too, where they're like, they've tried these like unproven head coaches that don't work, don't work, don't work. And they're like, you know what? We got to go out of the box. I'm like, no, you idiot. You've only gone out of the box. You need to get in the box. You need to hire like a good person, like someone that's just good at their job. Like how hard is that? Uh, But people, I think it's like, they're like shell shocked. And they're just like, no, what if we get the special teams coordinator from TCU? I heard he was awesome. And he's going to be like, no, like, no, get, get someone proven. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, when you've had a terrible commissioner for the last eleven years, I I don't I can't get on board with the Rick Neuheisel stuff. Makes no sense to me. Yeah, agreed. All right, this is from Tony Nineteen. It's a, a series of text message questions. Uh, hey guys, here are my questions. Uh, one, I'm sure you've talked about this by now, but what are your thoughts on the rumored candidates to replace Larry Scott? And he throws out Oliver Luck and Gene Smith. Uh, any other dream realistic candidates you'd like considered? Tony Nineteen, I do not dream about uh, conference commissioner candidates. You got any, Ryan, anything else? I don't it's care a, about Oliver Luck or Gene Smith. Yeah, I mean, see, a guy like Oliver Luck, has what he ran the XFL for a while. Like, if you've run a league, I think that makes a little bit more sense. Not that it was a successful league, but there's some some experience like that. Or if you could go, you know, and a, a number two, you know, commissioner from one of the, you know, from the SEC or the Big Ten or something where you can see how things are run really well. Like a, a Greg Byrne who was like, I get he was at Arizona. He's now the Alabama athletic director, but I kind of agree with you. Maybe he would be good at being a commissioner, but it, you know, he hasn't run something like that before. I guess Alabama would be the closest program to uh, running a whole conference, but I, you know, and, and people talk about like sports media. It's not, it's not like Andy Staples or uh, Bruce Feldman that would run it, but it would be someone like you said, that would be from, you know, an executive that's run, you know, ESPN U or something like that. Um, to me, that makes a lot more sense. I think you just would have made 
better decisions about the Pac-12 network if you had that kind of experience. I think, you know, in Larry Scott's mind, for whatever reason, those Olympic sports, the, you know, showing what was it? What was the contract for? It was like eight hundred live, eight hundred sixty like live shows, live sporting events per year. Like that's what he's like got people to sign up for. Like who is going to watch all that stuff? Like Wilner reported, like the, the 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 ratings for most of those were like literally zero, and the only way to do that was to have multiple networks. When web broadcast would have been fine for most of that stuff, like people would watch, like the families, the friends, you could tweet it out, like hey, well, you know, UCLA women's water polo is like number one in the, the nation right now. They're playing Cal. They're number two. A whole bunch of people would probably watch it on the web. You don't need like a network to to do that. Um, and I think someone that had experience on that side of things would go, look, I've been in TV for the last 15, 20 years that that's not going to work. You're, you're not having seven networks. Like we don't, we're ESPN. We don't have seven networks. Um, so yeah, I, I think maybe from the, the sports business side, the sports, you know, media side, I think would make a little more sense, uh, unless it was someone that was actually like number two at, at some other, you know, commissioner. So, you know, the commissioner or, or, you know. If you want to get the commissioner from like the Mac or uh, the the Sun Belt or something that, that's like really good at their job and promote them, just sort of like coaches would, you know, like coaches do. I think that would make more sense than getting like a a sitting AD. Yeah, agreed. Um, he then asks, "Will a new commissioner be enough to save the conference, or are we doomed because the individual schools aren't doing enough, like making better hires?" Yeah, I I think the the if the individual schools don't get it together, uh, a commissioner alone will not save the conference. Um, and by save the conference, I assume you just mean uh, make it so that it's not a joke for the foreseeable future. Because that's on uh, the power programs in the league more than it's on anyone else. Um, they've got to, and I, I again, I do mean USC, like. Primarily <laughs> uh, UCLA to an extent, but very much USC. Um, they they've got to get it together. Um, but if they do, the conference will be saved, and as much as a team will be doing well in the conference. Um, but uh, Oregon breakthrough to the elite. Then we can talk about you in that same voice. Um, but it's USC. They've got the best potential always to immediately turn out an elite program. So do it. Yeah. Stop you know, sitting there with Clay Helton as your head coach. I think you have to have both. I think you're right. Like you need, I mean, it's not even just the power programs, but those are more important, but you need everyone else to step up too and like make good hires. And it's great. Like when we keep saying Oregon state's on the rise and, but you need them to break through and you need them to like, you know, beat some good teams and beat a out of conference team that that stuff, that's all contributes to the conference. You know, when you have like a regular season, um, you know, it's good if Oregon can beat Auburn or whatever, Washington uh, can beat LSU or whatever it is. You know, th- those are awesome. But if Oregon State's playing like when they were play- you know, playing Oklahoma State, hey, you make a run and, and you beat a team like that, that that's well, like, guess, you know, rising tide, you know. I guess, all my point is, my, I guess my point is nobody's dumping on the ACC right now, despite the ACC being worse than the Pac-12. And the reason is Clemson. Clemson, yeah. And that's it. So the Pac-12 doesn't have Clemson. They've got a better league than the ACC. Like, you match up comparative team against Duke, comparative team in the Pac-12 is going to beat their pants off. Like, that's just – but the problem is there's no Clemson. Uh, Somebody's going to have to be Clemson 
Oregon is at you. USC is at you. Washington, UCLA, which who wants to be Clemson? Because um, the first one to get really serious and make the right hire and, and do the thing, uh, they can be Clemson. And yeah. then the Pac-12 is no longer talked about as the joke league, and everyone starts to realize, well, actually, the ACC is the piece of crap. Um, but you've got to have your Clemson. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, three, speaking of firings, assuming Chip and Clay are fired after the next season, who would be a dream but realistic candidate to replace them? And conversely, who do you think each school will actually go after? Ugh. Well, Chip's on the rise, right? Like, hey, hey, Clay, I've I've heard he's been recruiting extremely well. Lockdown California's <laughs> top recruit for the first time in forever. Hey, boy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, uh, hmm. Damn, I, 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 it's it's a little far out for me um, because I don't know who is uh, who's been unemployed for at least a year um, because that's <laughs> that's UCLA's criteria. Uh, whoever whoever they hire has to have been unemployed at least for a year. Um, so we won't really know until next year now, will we? Uh, but my ideal is somebody younger and hungrier. Um, I kind of proven coach, very nice. Um, but also I think UCLA has got to get somebody who's going to breathe some energy back into the program. Um, if, and when Chip Kelly is fired, I don't know if it'll be after next year. Um, but, um, if he is, I would. Uh, you got to get somebody hungry, somebody who can really put their energy into recruiting and rebuilding the talent in the program. Because it's, it, we'll see how this transfer portal thing goes, but I think the talent in the program is going to be at one of its lowest points. I, I like that for UCLA, young and hungry. If it if it's a guy with West Coast ties, great. If not, you know, having a staff that does. Uh, we saw what Arizona State was able to do, bringing in guy, you know, guys from Southern California that. Really gave a boost to recruiting. You could you could do that easier at UCLA. I like that. For SC, I think. I mean, now that the the, the white whale is gone, Urban Meyer's at the Jags. I think. I mean, Luke Fickle is an obvious one, just because you know Mike Bone hired him at Cincinnati. He's doing an amazing job there. Uh, Matt Campbell uh, at Iowa State is another uh, great name. I kind of feel like the old USC administrations would have definitely hired some retread or someone they're familiar with. I think they'll actually go after like good candidates now. Um, so they'll probably go after guys like that if they're available at the time and they, they make a move. But I, I honestly feel like this will be unless and they make some run to like the playoff. I think, they, I think this will be Clay's last year. He's still got a couple of years left on that ridiculous Larry Scott type of contract, but I feel like they could make a move in 2021 where they just, at least the administration felt their hands were tied before that. So uh, we'll see, but I, UCLA is actually, I mean, not joking. Like, they look better, right? Like, they actually look like they were a better football team later in the season. Maybe that helps. I don't know. I don't know how long um, Martin Jarman's going to stick you know, stick with Chip, but he at least showed some improvement there. Yeah, I mean, the my, I don't think the program is on, like, stable footing from, like, a program-building standpoint, just roster management and all that kind of stuff, but... Maybe they'll hit, strike gold in the transfer portal and just repeatedly be able to do that and build a program that way. Or recruiting jump starts based off of, you know, some modicum of success on the field next year. We'll see. Um, I, but basically, the way I would think about this year for UCLA people is this is the year that you would have wanted to see in year one. And it's year three. So yeah. is that good enough? And for some people, it might be because, you know, you're, we've waited this long, so let's see what it looks like next year, and that's fine. 
Um, but uh, he, he's got to actually do something next year. It's got to be at least a winning record, and we'll see if that's even enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it, you should have shown some of that early on. It's taken a while, but they did look just better on both sides of yeah, the ball. Yeah, markedly better. Yeah. Um, this is from Shane and Corvallis. Uh, Larry Scott's replacement. Uh, which Disney princess do you think would do the best job replacing Larry Scott? Ooh. Ooh. Pretty good one. Well, it's easier when you so, just have to do one and not like for every coach, every 12, you know, 12 programs. Yeah. Um, Elsa's an obvious answer uh, because Elsa, I mean, she can build a friggin' palace over like over the course of a song. Um, so you would have to imagine that she can, you know, whip something together. Like, I don't know, a whole new like medium for viewing football games. Right. Like you wouldn't yeah. even need a TV deal. Um, it would just be something else. Um, so I, I would say Elsa's an obvious choice. Um, Jasmine, a little bit of a shut in. Um, I don't know if she would manage the PR aspects of the job particularly well. Um, you know, I think you would have an air of, uh, of the elite there too. Uh, and the same thing with Rapunzel. I think that would be a big issue with her is that just, you know, from like being a public face standpoint, um, you know, you'd have to get over some, you know, being kind of a, a locked away, so to speak. Um, Ariel, uh, you know, I, she sure certainly showed adaptability, um, being able to roll with a lot of different things happening her to her, including losing her voice. Um, but ultimately, again, I think you're in that classic kind of fish out of water scenario. Um, you know, with with Scott, you had coming from women's tennis. With um, Ariel, it would be coming from an undersea kingdom. Um, so I think that would be a challenge for her. Uh, Mulan. I mean, I think a. You know, if you're looking for somebody, I think probably because um, Elsa, I think you're that's probably top tier, right? You're having to pay big bucks for Elsa. I think she would be um, <laughs> like SEC would be after her. I think Mulan, you might be able to get a deal um, because she has no obvious powers aside from um, a little dragon that she brings around with her, which I I don't know how much of an advantage Mushu would be um, on the business playing fields of TV deals. But she would bring a lot of heart and competitiveness to the job. I think some baseline competence would be there. Um, she's she's certainly operated within a man's world in a very specific way. Um, so I think the you know that rough and tumble whatever nonsense of uh, major TV executive crap, which is a largely male dominated industry, I don't think it would be too much for her. Um, so certainly Mulan, I think, would be in the conversation. Um, uh, your classic Cinderella, I don't know. I just don't know what, what her acumen is for all of this. Um, certainly has a work ethic. Um, you know, certainly is able to uh, transform in, in many ways. Um, uh, Snow White, uh, she can certainly, you know, certainly has a following. Um, certainly has, um, you know, can, can get people to dance to her tune, um, especially if they're little. Um, but I, I don't, again, I don't know. Um, sleeping beauty. I think you would be getting nothing very different from Larry Scott. Uh, just somebody who's not doing their job particularly well. Um, because they're asleep. Um, 
mean, Bell, well read. Um, yeah. But again, no discernible powers of any kind. Um, and technically, I don't even know if she was a princess or if she just became one because the Beast married her. Um, so no real, like, elite, you know, lineage there. royal bloodlines or anything. Yeah. Which, I, honestly, for me, that's a, that's a pro, not a con. Um, you know, less inbreeding. Uh, but still, I don't, I don't know if she had any discernible qualities aside from being well-read. Um, which, again, probably puts her leg up on Larry Scott. But I guess for my money, you'd go Elsa, and then if you miss out on Elsa because of the, you know, obviously the big um, competition for her services, I think you'd go Mulan. Uh, what about Moana? Like, the Polynesian pipeline, maybe? A little young. Know. A little young. I think, okay. so Moana, yeah, yeah, no, and that's a good point, is I think there <laughs> does have to be a connection with, um, you know, I think, I think maybe Larry Scott went a little far afield going deep into, like, East Asia, but if you want to go into Pacific Islands and try to build some inroads there, just from like a league footprint standpoint, I think Moana makes a ton of sense. Um, I, I don't. She's just a little unseasoned for me. You know, she's still learning to navigate uh, literally the waters of uh, the South Pacific, but also just the the navigate the the ways of life. You know, navigate um, probably the ways of business and all that. Um, also. Uh, probably in a sense lived 4,000 years ago. I don't know if she would necessarily be um, a living option if uh, she were to anthropomorphize. Um, So yeah, I I think Moana, um, again, determined, I think very similar to Mulan in that way, um, but hasn't, hasn't, hasn't hacked it um, in the, uh, in the world of big business um, and in in the world of, uh, you know, um, of Pac-12 football. So, all right. Yeah, I would I would go I would go Elsa and then and then Mulan. I'll, I'll uh, yeah, defer to you on those. But thanks, Shane, for that one. Good stuff. Yep. All right. Uh, this is from a phone number. Q says, quote, no such thing as coincidence. Real POTUS and CLS Champagne Larry Scott stepped down same day. Champagne Larry Scott will become Patriot Party Football Czar Spearhead Formation of New League NKFL No Neil Football League. Also, indictments coming. Okay, so I believe this is a QAnon reference, would be my guess. Okay. Is it bad uh, that I but, don't even know what that is? Is that bad? So QAnon is the, uh, is the conspiracy theory. So I'm going to... Uh, plead some ignorance about it because I haven't really read the details of it too much because frankly conspiracy theories piss me off just deeply at like a fundamental level and so I don't read the details of all of them I think this one was founded on the Pizzagate stuff or is in some way related to the Pizzagate stuff do you remember Pizzagate which was the idea that the world's elites are all pedophiles which they might be but that it was all centered around like a pizza joint and that they were um putting codes code words out there like if you said if somebody said they wanted pizza they were actually saying is i want to you know do something uh not great uh and QAnon, i think is somehow related to that i want to say but anyway uh, a whole lot of people um including probably some people listening to the show subscribe a little bit to this belief um in this person q who makes up conspiracy theories but basically that uh, I think Trump was a key central component in that he was going to expose the pedophiles and also execute some people on Inauguration Day. 
I don't know. Um, but it's led to some people. Uh, a lot of the people who um, ran into the Capitol on January 6th were QAnon folks, um, uh, crazy people, uh, or not crazy people. I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, but they were believers of this thing um, and thought they were doing the the, the will of, 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 of Trump, their, their czar. So it's it's a it's a very crazy thing that has now become um, an actual real thing that people have to think about, which is, you know, that, that's not great. Not great. Um, if you're looking for one of many reasons why we are a failed state, that's that's certainly one when you start getting these outsized uh, conspiracy theories that end up actually having real world impacts. But I don't really understand the post um, here. Is, I, I don't either. Upshot, yeah. um, which is, I, I think it might be referencing some stuff and I'm sure it's very funny. I just don't quite understand it. Right. So. Well, he, he does get a drop. The truth is we all know champagne. Larry likes to roll large, right? <laughs> Since he mentioned champagne, Larry a couple of times. So we'll give you a drop, but I, I can't, I can't claim to understand what, what it was about. All right. Should, do you want me to read Shane's? Cause this yeah, is, I already did one Shane. You go ahead and do this. I'll one. do this one. <laughs> All right, Shane, uh, you wrote a long way. I think he actually tweeted us in in, in uh, pre-apologia uh, for this. Let me read his tweet in advance because uh, he... We could alternate, like, paragraphs if you want or something. He says, uh, boys, I just reread the email I sent the other night. Good God, what is wrong with me? Brevity is not my strength, but this deserves a formal apology. I am sorry. Feel free to expel me from any slash all future digital functions gatherings. Oh, well, you only YOLO once. All right. So with that said, here we go. Okay. All right. He says, to aces are faults and getting served. A lot of tennis references there from our man Shane. Hmm. Fellows, I was in the midst of compiling the data for this year's postseason podcast of champions top 10 rankings when our esteemed Sir Lawrence Scott stepped down from his mighty steed and bowed his head adieu to an adoring gallery. As Mr. Sparkling Wine steps away from the stankless racket to enjoy some well-earned R&R, there will be the inevitable spin from the top guys. Top spin, if you will. (laughs) I saw Ralph Russo from the AP say basically, yeah, but he was this close to getting Texas and Oklahoma and launching a a Pac-16. And had he pulled that off, it would have shifted college sports forever and been great. Of course, he didn't, and it wasn't, and it didn't. There will also be fans and media types ready to serve him up and pin the fault on Scott, but that's too easy. That's never been what this podcast is about. Let's not sink to that level now. Let us take the high road and pay tribute to four things I think he got right. One, focus on the student-athlete. Media days have become a circus. Every single conference in America has easy access to the biggest and best film studio lots, production space, and plenty of great theme parks. What this brave man asked was, what if we could hold our media day at a shopping mall? (laughs) (laughs) right in front of a Skechers store and a Dave & Buster's. Not just any shopping mall, though. A shopping mall with no parking. The hardest place on the planet Earth to get to. That foresight kept the focus of Media Days on what it should be, the student-athletes. It isolated them awkwardly in polo shirts, and eventually the media just stopped attending. Who else could have done that? He brought the Washington women's rowing team out and and introduced them to kick off Football Media Day. I never once saw Greg Sankey or Jim Delaney do that. Does Alabama even have a women's rowing team? I wouldn't know. All That's right. Funny. Yeah. So that was at um, you know Hollywood and Highland. They actually have a, a pretty big parking lot no, there. No, it, it's but it's the worst place on earth. It's terrible. And like you know, I live in Southern California. When I would go to those things, 
I mean, it probably took me an hour and a half to get there. Like, it was... It's the it, worst place on Earth, and it's the worst place on Earth to get to. It was awful, yeah. And we we were bumped... The, the best one was the Rose Bowl. Even though it was outside and it was, like, hot that day, they gave us hats. I think I lost the hat last year, but I love those hats. Then they started going to different movie studios, and that was kind of cool. But then they just kept going back to Hollywood and Highland over and over and over again, and it was just, ugh, it was yeah. not not good. Two, recognized the future would cut out traditional television middlemen. He understood that getting Pac-12 content directly to Pac-12 fans was imperative. Is there a Roku app? Nah. Can I get it on DirecTV? No way. Is it included in any basic cable package? Of course not. But what if you're one of the <laughs> what if you're one of the hundreds of people who use this service, like Fubo, Sling, Minute, Vidgo, or Yondu? This might just be a list of obscure Star Wars characters. You'd never know the difference because you don't use any of these shitty services. Does Fox or ESPN have a vested interest in promoting the Pac-12 Awards schools? Nope. They don't own any stake in our conference outside of the Tier 1 rights to our best games. Beyond that, we're on our own, so they're not promoting Pac-12 networks, our schools, our brands, or anything that isn't on their network that day. They see us not just as irrelevant, but as direct competition. So, how does this benefit us? In 2024, there will be no television. <laughs> Larry knew that. That's like a thousand days from now. When there's no more TV and people wake up in the morning, head downstairs and turn on their <laughs> turn on their yondus, who's going to be there to greet them? Seven glorious Pac-12 networks, of course. All right. Uh, three, play the long game. The name of the game in this cutthroat, cutthroat world isn't making a quick splash and disappearing forever. Shout out Khalil Tate. This is about long-term survival. Are people going to be talking about you and your brand 20 or 30 years from now? Larry knew this when he locked in a 15 years rights deal 11 years ago. He looked at the genius of the Mets deal with Bobby Bonilla, Notre Dame extending Charlie Weiss in the third quarter of his first game, every timeshare owner ever, and every kid who signed up for Columbia House BMG to get Hootie and the Blowfish CDs for one penny and is still paying $40 a month to a collections agency for their shitty compact disc collection. Bottom line... Lock in at a low rate now. Be relevant forever. Sure, it's only a million dollars a year, but who's cashing checks in 2035? Bobby Bonilla, Hootie, and Larry motherfucking Scott. <laughs> All right. Were, were you too? Uh, are you too young for the the the, the Columbia House BMG? I remember like, it. I remember. I didn't do it, but I remember it. Um, I was like, like I worked in like I was working at a grocery store like in my teens, and then yeah, you tried to get like. It was expensive to buy like a new CD or that, you know, they were just becoming CDs then even, but yeah, you could, you could get like 10 or 12 of them for a penny. And then you had to buy like a couple of them. I forget how many, but you had to buy a couple of them for like, you know, expensive, like a couple of them for like 30, 40 bucks. But I think it worked out as long as you canceled, but there was just a bunch of idiots that wouldn't cancel and they would get, you know, these CDs for really expensive prices. But that's a, that's an amazing reference, Shane. Great stuff. Tremendous. All right. And then four strategic partnership. Uh, this would probably get lost if it weren't for Thomas, but thanks to his tireless spin, we're all aware that Larry strategically ba uh, strategically leased real estate in a building where something called Comcast Regional Sports Network had already laid some wiring. <laughs> so the Pac-12 networks were justified in spending at least part of eight million dollar housing their office, at least part of eight million dollars housing their offices there in downtown San Francisco, instead of driving down I-5 a few miles and setting up shop in a strip mall and sharing a parking lot with a subway like the SEC does. In 2010, Larry had a clear vision for the future, and he knew it would pay off to have a television partner in the building. 
to be able to walk down one flight of stairs to say, hey, fellas, thankfully we're neighbors and I can use, <laughs> and I can use your wiring. <laughs> I've got seven shitty networks that nobody cares about airing volleyball replays from three years <laughs> three years ago. No advertisers, nobody watching, and nobody is asking for it. What should I do? <laughs> the answer was, of course, have you tried firing Mike Yam yet? It's called strategy, guys. Look it up. <laughs> Raise a glass, tip one out, sail on, Lawrence. You did some things. Keep up the work. Your friend, compatriot, and proud doubles partner, Shane. Nice, Shane. I, I love it. Oh, um, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, very good. That was my. He had so many tennis references in there. It was crazy. It was so good. Um, well, thank you for that one. That was very, very long, but it's. I, I think it's worthy of like putting up on the blog. Or something you know, we should do that. Why? Because I was chortling too much, and they weren't able to clearly understand. No, it was great, but it should be immortalized. Well, I guess it's immortalized on the show, but um, you know, people want to read it. Uh, but that's good stuff. Shane's always Shane's always brings the heat, and uh, that, there was no exception there. Thank you for that, even though it was really freaking long. We got Perk. He has a few points here. Uh, doesn't lead into him or anything. Just starts with points. So we'll just jump in. No subject, nothing. Uh, David, do you think Bob Toledo was fired at UCLA a year earlier than he should have been? The 2002 team won eight games with a lot of first-year starters and injury issues. Like, really, that's just that's how he starts the email. There's wow. no... No, like, didn't set it up or anything. He just, he asked you a Bob Toledo question. Perkins down to business, and I appreciate that about him. Um, I, I So this was, like, kind of pre-me really following it from, like, a, I want the coach fired all the time angle. Um, my sense of it from everything I've heard about the program at the time is no. It was not a year earlier. Um, he had kind of lost control of the program to an extent. Um, it was clearly on a downward angle. Uh, what they failed to do was hire somebody who wasn't the Denver Broncos wide receivers coach. Um, that was really the first error. Uh, when you have an opportunity to hire a new uh, college football head coach, don't hire the Denver Broncos wide receivers coach who has no experience as a college football head coach. That makes sense. Um, I, what I remember, it just it was fun, right? The Bob Toledo's fun offense stuff, maybe it was trending downward towards the end. Maybe he needed more support or better, some better coaches on staff, but it was a, a fun brand of football, and I thought it it worked, you know, for a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, you could have made an argument to keep him forever. I don't know, um, but uh, it was clearly not trending in a great direction at that point. Um, so I'm fine with it. Um, I'm fine with the firing, just not okay with what they what they ended up doing in terms of the hiring. All right, and he says number two. Uh, similar to my last question, do you think Ben Howland was fired a year two or year or so too early? The next year's team had Kyle Anderson, Jordan Adams, Norman Powell all coming back with Zach Levine, uh, Levine coming in as a freshman. You had it right the first time, Levine. Um, Levine, I'm oh, sorry. Uh, no, I would actually say Ben Howland was fired a year too late. Um, they should have fired him after the previous year when the Reeves Nelson story came out. Uh, that provided a great opportunity to do so, actually. Um, and uh, it would have. Uh, from a perception standpoint, it would have looked a lot more justified than what they ended up doing, which is firing him after a 25 and 10 year where they actually won the Pac-12. Um, so it looked funny when they ended up doing it. Uh, it wouldn't have looked funny if they'd fired him in the wake of that SI story about Reese Nelson peeing on people's clothes and how and not giving a crap. Um, 
So, yeah, that was another one where it was a lot of the, the program itself was on really bad footing and he needed to go. Again, who they hired is the problem. Uh, don't hire Steve Alford. That's yeah. That's a good rule of thumb. Just no matter what you're doing in life, like if you're, if you're, um, I don't know, opening up a small business and you need somebody to be your salesman, don't hire Steve Alford. Um, <laughs> if you are, uh, if you just bought a subway, right, and you need somebody to be your new sandwich artist, and you just need somebody who can competently put bread, meat, and cheese, you know, all together into a like. M- maybe palatable uh whole palatable uh don't hire steve alford if you're running a basketball program also don't hire steve alford to coach it um so that's really the big key there uh ben howland he had to go whether it was that year the year before the year later whatever they wouldn't have gone they wouldn't have been that good the year following anyway because it was ben howland at the end of his tenure and he wasn't very good at the end of his tenure um yeah. but just don't hire steve alford is he working somewhere now Steve Alford? Yeah, he's no, no. Uh, current. He's, oh, Ben Howland? Or either one. Both. Yeah, both. Howland is at Mississippi State, where he's kind of continued to be pretty mediocre in his uh, post-2008 days. Um, and then uh, Alford is continuing to, uh, you know, just tank basketball programs. He's in Nevada now. Okay. He says, my sincere apologies to David Ryan and the other 52 listeners for talking about basketball. Accepted, Perk. Um, three... How much different do you th- you guys think America would be today if Mitt Romney won in 2012 and either served until 2016 or 2020? Mm. This is a tough counterfactual because it comes with a lot of um, it comes with a lot of other implications of what that would mean because a Mitt Romney who won in 2012 would mean. A Mitt Romney who won. Let me look at the 2012 presidential election. Perks it all would over be the a place. Mitt, yeah, well, it would be a Mitt Romney who won a considerable amount of states that he didn't win, which would mean some different things about the country. But I, let's not even get into the implications of that. From like a what they accomplished standpoint in four years, uh, the four back half years of the um, Obama years. I don't know if it would be meaningfully different. Um, now, I think a lot of what was sparked, um, and by this I do mean the um, uh, by having a black man as the president, I think that sparked a lot of the uh, worst things about our political um, uh, uh, current turmoil, uh, because we've got uh, you know a lot of un. Um, a lot of unexamined racism out there. Um, and uh, I think it was, you know, the whole birtherism that had already happened by 2012. Um, I think a lot of that was already activated at that point. And I don't think there was putting any of that. I don't think there was any closing the barn door at that point. So it was already getting pretty ugly. Um, and again, like whatever, you're, you're not going to elect the first black president because it might make some racists mad. No, but um so I don't know if that would have meaningfully changed anything uh, from 2012 to 2016. What it would do if Mitt Romney had won in 2012 is you probably don't get Trump then in 2016. Certainly not a Trump who's going to beat a Republican incumbent. Um, and uh, Romney likely would have won in 2016 because incumbents, unless they absolutely fall on their face, generally do win. Um, so uh, state of the country, uh, we probably lose quite a few 
fewer people to the pandemic would be my guess just because you would have a better organization um you know it's sort of like uh, would romney have been my preferred president at any point in my life no but would he have handled the friggin coronavirus pandemic in a more sensible way than how we've handled it federally for the last year probably would that have entailed you know a hundred thousand fewer people dying probably something like that you know if you have a federal mask mandate maybe who knows um so maybe like on the margin well i wouldn't even say that's on the margins uh, what that one big thing would have been different um and maybe a few other marginal things would have been different but largely everything else the background noise the degrading state of the country um which started very much decades ago continued under obama and would have continued under a romney administration all that stuff would have maintained um but i think you would have had um maybe some less egregiously awful things um you know maybe you don't get that muslim ban in 2017 maybe you don't get um quite as many people dying uh of the coronavirus um in these last four years if you've got a romney second term guy but otherwise i mean the the corporatist uh way of life in the united states um the huge inequality between poor and rich uh the concentration of wealth at the highest levels uh the way money uh dictates virtually everything in everyone's life uh none of that would have changed all right yeah he just seemed like a more reasonable person um so maybe he'd be a more reasonable president i don't know we'll see yeah that's interesting question i just don't know much about mitt uh, and this last one, Dave, how different of all do you think politics would be today if the Republican Party didn't embrace Barry Goldwater's conservative movement in 1964? What the, what, Perk, where are we going with this stuff? Holy well, crap. So, so this is an interesting one because uh, Goldwater's conservative movement in 1964 is kind of, um, it, it's led us to where we are today. He's not wrong, which is, uh, it was a very cynical effort. Um, and it happened over the course of, I mean, decades but a very cynical movement by um actually some like well-heeled you know (laughs) a lot of them were like northeast liberals um but uh to kind of figure out a way to get power and break up the new deal coalition um and they did it by appealing to social issues um and uh essentially racism um in the south uh, because if you go back and you look at a lot of these politicians, a lot of them were Democrats. Um, you know, like I think Strom Thurmond going way back was a Democrat. Um, this was all part of the New Deal coalition, which was a lot of poor whites, uh, a lot of poor people all over, um, you know, uh, liberals, every a whole bunch of people. It was like 70 percent of the entire uh, political universe. And it was an effort to finally break that the back of that um was Goldwater appealing to essentially racism and essentially this um, uh, social conservatism that many of these people who were espousing it didn't actually believe in, um, like the Bushes, for example. Um, So if none of that had happened, we would probably have a more sensible um, political spectrum right now, for sure. But it was going to happen because we've got too many unexamined issues from whatever certainly since 1865, but even before that. Um, So at some point, some malefactor was going to, you know, stick the stick, the hot poker in the wound of this country and, and, you know, excise whatever, um, you know, evils came from that. And that's what we've ended up with uh, for the last 50 years. And it's been and I I do want to be very clear. It's been very fun. 
and very cool. And it's it's awesome to watch uh, the country break apart in uh, real time. All right. Well, and by Bert, awesome, I do not mean awesome. Just oh, FYI. Sarcasm font. Yeah, yeah, sarcasm font. Okay. We got All one right. last one, I think. This is Paul, a.k.a. Webfoot. Uh, the gentleman doth protest too much. Hello, champions. Webfoot here. Uh, this question is for Ryan, but if it's David's turn to read an email, he can read it. Uh, Mr. Abraham, why do you think David tweets so much more while he watches UCLA men's basketball games than he does when watching UCLA football? Is it because deep down in his strange little heart, he knows that you're right and UCLA really is a basketball school? I think that's what it is. <laughs> he changed his uh, your 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 uh, avatar too. Is a basketball avatar now? It is. Uh, it is. I, um, I noticed that. But I, I, if you did the math, I think I very much tweet more during football. I think I tweet like an average of like I don't know six to eight times during a basketball game. It's probably like I'm 40 you times tweet during more a football now, game. Though. I'm seeing yeah. you tweet more, during, but, but but baseball's actually they're, good. They happen, they happen a lot. Like there's two basketball games a week at least. UCLA basketball is actually pretty good now. I even watched the end of that Stanford game, which was insane. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. You, and by you fun, could... I do not mean fun again. Um, <laughs> all right, and then uh, and if that is true, what else is he fighting back against that he really believes? Is he secretly in love with Ronald Reagan? Does yes. he care deeply about each team's tight end coaches? Yes. Does he drink IPAs when no one is watching? Certainly. No, probably not that last one. IPAs are trash. Have a great week and keep doing whatever the hell it is that you all do. <laughs> Man, I thought Brandon was going to cry when you talked about IPAs. The thing is, I don't even feel that strongly about them. I just like to, you know, sometimes go off a little bit. Um, they're fine. Uh, it's just, I, I think... Um, you know me, I push back a little bit when things get a little bit outsized. Like, you know, here's what I'll say. You know, we had that whole thing about soccer um, that one summer. I don't yes. mind soccer. Soccer's fine. Like, I don't care. Um, but the pretentious soccer people piss me off, right? They're the worst. So then I just go hard on it. Pretentious IPA people piss me off. Like, I don't want to hear about the friggin' body of a beer or, like, Oh, it's got great notes of whatever, lilac, or whatever the hell they're saying. No, it's a beer. Is it good? Maybe. But don't... Come on. It's annoying when it's wine, but at least there's like a long-storied history of all these people being just absolute obnoxious heels. Don't turn beer into that. Just drink a beer. It's fine. And if it's a good beer, great. More power to you. But come on. We don't need to hear about, like, oh, my God... It's got incredible, like, I don't know, aromatics or whatever. No, it's a beer. It tastes like an old sock. It looks like an old sock. It smells (laughs) like an old sock. It messes up your head pretty good. That's what you're after. That's it. Nice. Uh, Yeah, no, it was funny. Like, I wasn't a big fan of soccer. It was really the my soccer friends that were just so over the top about how amazing soccer is and how all the other American sports suck and stuff. And they were just, you just don't understand it and blah, blah, blah. Like if they were like kind of cool about it, like, yeah, you know, you probably haven't followed it, but here's what I like about it. Here's what got me into it. No, it was always like this kind of preachy thing all the time. And uh, no, yeah, it, it made me rock. hate soccer all more. All of it is indie rock. Every one of these people is indie rock. Like they're like, Oh, I like that band before they were cool. Right. It's, who gives a shit? Like, it's just, like, no, I'm I'm never going to like that band because of that. Like, because you say that. And I'm not going to like, I'm not going to ever profess to like soccer because you're pretentious. And it's yeah. not, it's more fun to kind of pick at you a little bit than to, 
sit here saying soccer's fine. Yeah. Well, Webfoot, you're you're definitely on to something. Um, David's, you know, hugging UCLA men's basketball right now because they're actually good. Um, so yeah, it's a it's we know it. It's a basketball school. Um, what are you gonna do? Is football is nice if you can get a little success every once in a while. But we know where Dave's bread is buttered, and it's it's on the hard court. So uh, keep tweeting away, David. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's it. That's um, it. That's all we got. Well, thanks. So, Ding Dog, the Witch is dead. Larry Scott is gone. We, I'm sure we'll get more questions and stuff. We'll follow the search with what everyone's reporting about and stuff. We'll give you guys some thoughts on that. And, of course, keep talking about Disney princesses or whatever you guys want us to do uh, going out. We'll have, I guess, in a week or so, two weeks, we got the uh, f- the the regular signing day, the, the late signing day period. So we can uh, maybe do some more recruiting stuff, if any big things, some big transfers, stuff like that. Kind of put a bow on all that maybe sometime in February. But we'll, we'll keep going uh, week by week. We wanted to get you guys a show in early uh, to talk about the Larry Scott stuff. So some people want an emergency podcast. They don't. That's not how we work here. That's today. not what we do here. Nothing yeah. is an emergency when you operate the way we operate. Yeah, <laughs> there was no emergencies, but it was big news. Um, so it was good to hear. It actually would have been fun to wait a week and then do that thing where we forget about it. <laughs> that would have been really cool. There, there's definitely been shows like that where it's like, okay, well, we got to talk about this. We got to talk about that. And then you'll be like, crap, we didn't talk about the big, like there's some huge thing that happened. Like, oh man, we forgot about that. Um, but we didn't forget about this one. That was, this was a little too big. So when we have a drop for the guy. We have to talk about him. Uh, all right. Well, let's go wrap it up. That is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast of champions. We will talk to you next time. Bye. Survivor 46 is here. And so is on fire. The only official survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.